What is up, you guys? Welcome to Mindset Sessions by Off The Wall Therapy. I am Brock Eisman, and I am stoked to give you guys a look into the sport and performance psychology world. I am here to help you create tools and optimize your potential. Let's get it. How we doing, everybody? All right, so my name is Brock, and this is Mindset Sessions. For those of you who don't know, we have three segments to the podcast. The first segment is interview, and that is what is happening today. We have a special guest on, and we interview them, much like a lot of the different podcasts that you probably listen to. Today's special guest that we have, his name is Chris Logan, and the other two segments are Q&A. Q&A is basically questions and answers. You guys can shoot those question in, questions in and we will talk about them, two to three questions. You can email those in at brock at offthewalltherapy.com or you can DM me on Mindset Sessions Podcast or Off The Wall Therapy on Instagram as well. Um, the other segment is P&B and what P&B is is performance and rain and basically what we do is we take research studies that we find interesting or that you guys send in that you say, hey, you should talk about this. Um, so that is the three segments. Today is interview, and we have Chris Logan on. So Chris is going to kind of tell you his story, the things that he has gone through in his life, um, different thoughts that he has on different topics, and I'm hoping that you guys can get something out of this conversation. Um, I met Chris at a Bible study, and took him to an off the grid. We actually just got back from an off the grid this past weekend and off the grid therapy, an event that is at off the grid therapy on Instagram. If you want to check them out, um, that event that we have going on, it's, it's amazing. And there's so much to it if you haven't checked it out already. So, um, Chris is going to kind of introduce himself and give you a little bit of his story. So appreciate you guys listening. Yeah. So, which is fine. I mean, in you know, the whole intent behind anytime I share, you know, what it is and, and, you know, those pieces of my story, the hopes are that somebody hears it, maybe is encouraged to reach out to somebody for help yeah. or somehow gets, you know, some hope through what it is that I've shared and is like, hey, you know what? This guy can do it. So can I kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And the story is the story, man. Like it, that outside of the, getting too much into detail like it's going to be consistently the same because yeah. it is what it is yeah. you know I, for sake of time and sensitivity a lot of times depending on who's there I leave out a lot of the details obviously but yeah, yeah that's fine yeah well I mean we got an hour and a half today so. yeah we're good and then if questions if you want to ask questions along the way that you know, I'm good I absolutely that. will yeah, yeah. not for totally. sure alright so Chris We've been gone. Nice. <laughs> Somehow I kind of knew that. I was like, yeah. I tr- I, this is I, his slow way of like not freaking me out and like slow transition into Yeah, things. no. And what you don't know is that I, I put like an intro in before, like introducing you. Yeah. You thought I was going to get into, okay, here we go, everyone. Here it is. This is Chris. No. Yeah. I, I typically will have a conversation like we just had and then roll into it. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like that's way better. Um, but yeah, explain who you are. Yeah. Where you um, came from? What's your story, where man? Where I came from. What's your story, yeah, man? Story. So much to it. Um, I mean, if we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the background and how it is that I came to do what it is I do for a living. Um, and also, for the sounds, there is Reagan, who is your dog. Why don't you explain who Reagan is first? Yeah. So, Reagan is a certified therapy dog. Um, he's in here right now. Yep. He's in here. You're probably hearing him. He's been at work all day. We just came straight from work. Um, so he's a little, he's kind of looking for a break. He's about to do a shake here. Um, and uh, he's a therapy dog. I work with uh, an organization. I, I treat first responders for post-traumatic stress and uh, mental health and addiction. So he is part of that. Um, him and I kind of coach and help clients along the way. He's a good emotional support as well as some you know, comic relief from time to time and just, uh, 
you know, I, I work with a lot of uh, law enforcement guys who are, uh, you know, canine handlers and a lot of people that just have canines and dogs at home. Um, and so he lost his ball back there. That's why he's whining. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, he just offers that kind of relief and is uh, he's really keen to emotion as most animals are. Yeah. So he has the ability to kind of read the room and see, you know, who may be going through something or uh, might just need a little bit of time um, and physical attention. He'll le- he'll do what's called a lean where he'll kind of get up on you and, and just lean his body into people. So two things I've really seen um, change a room full of like, you know, big alpha male tough guys. Mm. A majority of, of our clients are male. We do treat females, but... um is babies and dogs and like you know they see babies and they're they're a little bit softer and the the dog enters the room and they get a little bit softer too yeah what kind of dog is he i mean he's he's a mix the big boy yeah he's he's about 84 pounds 85 pounds um mixed between a lab and a staffordshire terrier he's got a little bit of german short-haired pointer in him Hmm. so he's a good sized dog athletic dog very yeah very super fast Agile. Yeah, he's thing. got a rad vest on too. Yeah, he's a, he's got he got some new patches today. One of the clients put some patches on him. He's got a really cool color too of like he's like a brown and black mm-hmm. mix of the lab, mm-hmm. which is cool. So he's a great dog, man. Is a little bro or is that the new patch? Yeah, little bro, little bro, and I'm obsessed with treats and I don't know if they put some other patches on his vest. Oh, I actually have treats in my bag. There's these uh. Obviously, he's inside the office right now, and he's smelling Huck and everything in here. Can I give him liver? Absolutely. Does he like liver? Oh, yeah. Brie only, my wife, she only buys like the... All natural. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it's it's all the liver and... Oh, you smell that? Yeah. You smell that? Hey, hey. Come on. Oh, wow. You didn't even chew that up. No, dude. Swallow it whole. Yeah, it's liver. I think it's dehydrated liver, actually. It's a liver jerky. Something like that. All right, that's all gone. Look. All right, right, sweet. So tell me a little about what you do. Yeah. Um, So I mentioned, you know, I'm the director of clinical operations for uh, an outfit here in in Newport Beach where we treat uh, first responders for mental health and addiction. You know, I oversee kind of the day-to-day operations as well as like getting into some of the clinical stuff. Mm. I'm a certified substance abuse counselor and have been for a lot of years. So I can help on that level um, as well as and, you know, kind of lining them up with the right therapist and stuff like that. I facilitate groups as well. Um, what year What year uh, did you start doing that? Or is this something so, new? No. Uh, so the first responder specific treatment is about five years. So I've been specific in treating that population for about five years. But the mental health and addiction field, I've been in behavioral health since 2000 and so I got sober in 2006, went back to school 2008, got into my internship probably somewhere 2009 or 10-ish and I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. So yeah, I've been everything from, I've done everything from adolescent counseling to crisis intervention, I've done sober transport, Um, I've done all kinds of stuff within the field, so... What led you to get into this field? And I know that that's going to go into your story, but For sure. kick off yeah. the story. So I, um, you know, I dealt with my own addiction problems early on in, in life. I, um, you know, as a result of many things, and, and we can talk a little bit about kind of the ins and outs of addiction as, as, as the conversation goes on. But my personal story, as a result of, I think, several things in my life, um, you know, being raised by a very young single mom. My mom was 16 when I was born. So he, he's sniffing up here at the table. <laughs> he smells the liver. So, um, you know, that, that kind of posed its own problems later on in life. Uh, my mom was super young, super immature. She kind of had some of her own challenges and issues with substances. So I think I was exposed to a lot of things really young. Mm. Um and then there's kind of that addictive gene um, that I have that runs in my family, and, and we can talk more specifically about that. But um, that kind of led me to experimenting with 
alcohol and other drugs really early on, you know, 12, 13 years old, you know, just sneaking beers or finding weed around. And um, that really kind of got me started early in life. Um, And from there, it really just kind of progressively took off over the years. And, you know, that would lead me into, you know, er, you know, late teen years, early teen years, um, were just partying and kind of experimenting and playing um, with stuff that I had no idea of what it was or how it was going to affect me later on in life. As most teenagers, you don't, you don't understand how things are going to affect you later on in life, right? You're just kind of doing what what everybody else is quote unquote doing or what seems to be cool at the time uh smoking cigarettes drinking beer smoking weed that kind of thing so um you know that just kind of led to later years in my life with some big big struggles man and uh you know there's a lot of of things i think if i'm going to get into my story i really need to clarify that um both my parents um today are really good people and um, I don't blame them for any part of my story or the things that happened to me. Um, as I mentioned, my mom was really young. So as I've gotten older, I've understood like she was a baby raising a baby and she wasn't making the best decisions either. How old is she? When she had my you? mom was 16 when I was born. Got so uh, 16 going on 17. So she was super young. And my dad was probably 21, 20 something, somewhere around there. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't get to meet him till way later on in my life. But um, so as I talk about parts of my childhood and things like that, I, you know, if anybody listens to this, I need them to know that I don't, I don't blame my parents for any of that stuff. I think they were doing the best that they could do um, with what they knew and what they had. But that being said, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, um, you know, and those sorts of things, I think, pushed me out of wanting to be at home. You know, my mom would have different people around and they weren't the best people. So it made it difficult to want to be home or even or to even be home, you know. Um, And so I spent a lot of time with, you know, the wrong people and that just, you know, Kind of like every movie you've ever seen, you know, hanging out with the wrong people, the wrong crowd, you start doing the wrong things. And that just kind of became um, the things that I was doing constantly in my life. So you get into, you know, junior high, high school, and that kind of stuff carries on. Um, I, I grew up, we moved a lot, but primarily I went to school in, uh, in North Long Beach in the 80s. So that was a rough time, man. You know, boys in the hood, realistic kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not a, uh, it's not an easy place for a, a little white kid, surfer kid from, you know, a, a nice part of Long Beach. We lived in a historical uh, place in Long Beach, which was weird. Um, so it wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, it was what it was. And, um, so, you know, in and out of rough neighborhoods, those sorts of things. And then, <clears throat> you know, I went to um, the last year I attended high school was at Poly, Polytech. And I don't know if, you know, if, you're, fam- yeah, if you're familiar I with that. Fo- I played football against <laughs> And them. most people who play football. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's uh, again, it's not, it's not the easiest place for a, a little scrawny white kid to be. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was a tough time, man. And um, That's actually my grandpa. He went to high school there and played baseball there. Okay. Yeah. 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 So you get it. But then again, I think back then it was, I mean, even more different than now. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But, um, you know, again, that I mean, that just led me to kind of adapt to some things and, and, uh, got pretty good at, you know, um, defending myself and, and those sorts of things. So, and I've never been one to shy away from that kind of stuff. So, but, um, you know, and somewhere in, I had a younger brother, and uh, somewhere in uh, probably 89, 88, he found my dad, um, which my mom and dad were divorced when I was super young, uh, like two, and we didn't know my dad. So he finds my dad. Long story short, we end up moving to Tennessee. 
uh, a super small town in Tennessee, where, um, you know, my um, my drinking just just took off, man. At at, I think I was 15 going on 16 when I moved there, uh, freshman in high school, and I was drinking, you know, partying every weekend, drinking throughout the week, and. It just escalated to a point where by the time I was 17 or 18, and my dad, is uh, he had his own drinking problems at that mm-hmm. time and was fairly abusive. So we had a couple of physical altercations, and uh, at 17 years old, I left home. You know, it was mm-hmm. the best thing I could do. And uh, come here. Sorry, he's over here whining. And um, He's off duty. Yeah. He's over for the it's, day. Yeah. It was the best thing I thought I could do. Um and with that came a lot of independence and no no parental supervision. And so, you know, I dropped out of school, started working a construction job. And with that comes more drinking and, uh, you know, you're young and trying to prove yourself to a bunch of full-grown men. And so you work hard, you fight hard, you drink hard. And uh, that would eventually lead me to, to just making a lot of really bad decisions in my life for the next I don't know, 15 years, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so eventually I moved back to California. And, um, you know, in moving back to California, my addictions kind of grew. Um, I started kind of experimenting more and more with drugs, harder drugs, and... Uh, that really took me down a path of, of destruction. And, you know, from the time I was 18 doing all that knucklehead stuff, I started going to jail real early too. Um, and so I kind of continued that lifestyle when I moved back to California. And, um, you know, the drugs increased. And with that came a lot more um, of the, the legal problems and kind of the, the consistent going to jail. And, um, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been in, I've been in high speed chases trying to outrun the cops. In fact, I was, uh, I ran my car through a house at like 20 years old. And so, yeah, so I ended up, ended up in jail for quite a bit of time there. Um, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of fines, um, just knucklehead stuff, man. Five years of state probation, which is like in lieu of prison. So I was lucky there. And uh, like I said, that stuff just can, you know, that stuff just consistently happens. You know, when you're when you're drinking and and messing around with substances like that, um, it doesn't take long for things to really kind of come off the tracks, you know. And with that kind of a lifestyle comes those sorts of consequences. And so I wasn't anyone special, and I ne- I didn't escape any of that stuff. So that continued up until you know my early thirties. Um, I mean, two thousand six, February two thousand and February eighteenth, two thousand and six was the last time I have uh, had any drugs or alcohol. It was also the last time I was arrested, <clears throat> and uh, that was the day I um. You know, I, I was in an Orange County jail cell and surrendered my life to a God of my understanding at that point in time, which I didn't quite understand what that meant. All I knew was, you know, it was one of those things you kind of see in the movies. It's like, God, if you're real, you know, I'm done making all these empty promises. Like, if you're real and you can get me out of this, because I, I was looking at some pretty heavy charges. They wanted to send me to prison for a minimum of like 18 months. And uh, I'm not cut out for that kind of life, man. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that guy. Prison, prison's rough. So um, I've done a handful of county jail time, but and so that was the beginning of like my life kind of rebuilding. Um, and you know, I, again, I, I turned my will and my life over to a God that I didn't really understand. But I, you know, I threw everything down at that moment. Like, listen, if you're real, I'm done. I can't continue to live this way. You know, the idea of not waking up the next day became something I was really comfortable with. You know, um, it was never this intent of like wanting to to commit suicide or kill myself. 
Um, but it was the idea of just not existing, right? I just, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, that would be okay. But at the same time, I don't have the guts to kill myself, right? Like I'm not that guy. So it's just surrendering at that moment and saying, listen, I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I can't stop drinking and using drugs no matter how many times I've tried. You know, and I've tried on my own. After getting in trouble, you'll try to clean up or whatever, you know. And um, it just wasn't working, you know. It was beyond my, it was beyond human aid at that point, you know. And so, turn it over, you know, guide me, help me, save me, whatever. And uh, it was from that point on when, you know, things would really start to be put back together in my life. You know, I would... I was lucky enough to get offered a drug diversion class um, or school um, that I would have to attend for quite a few months in uh, in lieu of any prison time. And the judge told me, he's like, Mr. Logan, this is your one and only chance. You, if you don't complete this, you're going straight to prison. No questions asked. And I was like, okay. Didn't know how. Didn't know where I was going to live. I mean, I knew nothing except I was going to get out of jail. And I made this deal with God. So, um, you know, from there, things just kind of started adding up and opportunities were, you know, placed in front of me. And I continued to take those opportunities. I was able to find a sober living that I ended up staying in for three years. I am. Um, and during that point in time, that's where I was able to kind of go back to school. Um, I went back to school for two things. I started back to school to do electrical work. Um, and I was in my second year apprenticeship and, um, you know, that wasn't God's plan. So he changed things up on me, but I think he kind of knew it was too early to introduce me to this counseling piece. Uh, so he said, here, you know, you've been a construction worker your whole life. I'll give you this little electrical job for a minute and then I'm going to change it up on you. So I was, I was in school doing that, working in as an electrician and I got laid off. And um, at that time, um, I was seeing a girl who was like, hey, I'm going to go down to this school and become a drug and alcohol counselor. You should come down and check it out. I'm like, you know, okay, I'll go. (laughs) It's a girl. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And uh, so we're there in the office and the guy's like, hey, what's your deal? And, you know, I'm an electrician, bro. I'm good. You know, he's like, are you working right now? And I was like. No. <laughs> and he's like, hey, check this out. California is doing this thing. It's called California Training Benefits. He's like, I can get your unemployment extended up to a year if you're willing to go to this school. And I thought, you know what? One, I don't have to work for a year. You know, I'm young. I don't want to work. And two, what's it going to hurt? You know, I could have this side hustle for, you know, these other things. And so I said, hey, you know what? Let's do it. And... You know, I started into this school and all of a sudden it just really intrigued me and I was learning and I was learning so much about myself and why I was doing the things that I was doing, um, which I was amazing because, you know, in addiction, you're, you're, you're suffering from these things and you don't understand why you don't understand how drugs work in your mind. You don't understand the genetic component. You don't understand the environment, the environmental component. You just, you just know you're drinking and using, and there comes a point where you don't want to do it anymore, but you're still doing it, you know? Um, and so being able to get into this school and get educated about all this stuff was amazing to me. I got to learn about my family of origin. I got to learn about family roles. I got to learn about, you know, the addictive pieces in the brain and how the reward system works and all of these things was answering so many questions for me on why I was doing the things that I was doing even though I didn't want to do them. And so in short, I mean, I fell in love with it like right out of the gate. And I'm not a guy who likes school at all, right? I'm dyslexic. I've always had a hard time in school. I dropped out in the ninth grade because of a multiple reasons, but here I am and I'm in this school and I'm fascinated with it. I'm just fascinated with it. And, you know, in learning it and doing these presentations and all of these things, I find that I'm actually pretty good at it and I'm picking up on it really quickly um, to the point my teacher was like, hey, man, you know, like you're really good at this. You have kind of a natural you know, way about you and you're, you're really getting this. He's like, I, I think you're going to be a really good counselor, you know, which was cool. Um, 
from there I finished the school would go on to to uh, do my internship sit for the state certification I passed that and uh, and things have just kind of been going ever since man so it's been a great journey along the way because um, I think in when I started really learning about myself it really gave me this idea that if I can learn this stuff about myself and it's really offering me this relief and understanding about why the things were happening the way that they were, what would it be like to be able to help other people understand that? Mm. You know, and I just thought that would be really cool. And I think having gone through all the stuff that I'd gone through, it's one of those things where you you sit down with a therapist and you're like, what do you know about the stuff you went to school? (laughs) You know, and it's like, how can you talk to me about hardships and drugs and alcohol it's like you went to school to learn this stuff which is it's an un- unfair assessment but it's a, it's the reality of how a lot of people look at it especially when it comes to drug and alcohol counseling they want to know that you have been down in the dirt man and made your way out you know and I thought that's exactly what's happening so I feel like it could be really effective on that level yeah I kind of going off of that I when it comes to sports psychology I think we talked a little bit about this. Sure. In psychology, there is that there are a few, and I'm relating this to sports because, like a sports psychologist, you look at a sports psychologist. I would be way more empathetic and listen and kind of relate more with someone who actually had been an athlete. Sure. And as opposed to like a 350 pound guy who's telling me that this is how I deal with adversity or when I. I need to go work out like this is what I need to think about and right I totally I totally get that yeah. you know when it comes to what your career is and I mean I wouldn't want to go see someone who's just like had this perfect life and gone exactly through, not gone through anything or it's that relatability right and you're speaking to kind of that same thing it's like you know of course and I and I use it as an analogy all the time I'm like listen if you want to go out and if you want to learn how to pitch really well who are you going to go out to get you to coach yeah right to coach you how to pitch you're not going to go get a quarterback you're not going to go you're going to get the pitching coach you're going to get the guy who's pitched you know and understands it it's kind of that same thing not that you couldn't learn something from the quarterback but Mm -hmm. at the same time you're there's not going to be that that relationship and when it comes to you know psychology and therapy there really has to be that that therapeutic rapport and if that's not there it's difficult man it's a difficult bridge to build. It can be done, and I've known some clinicians to be really good at it because they're really good at that empathetic piece. Mm-hmm. And when you're really good at, at having empathy for someone and, and someone can feel that, they're really not then so worried about your qualifications, right? Have you been down in the dirt? Do you really know? They're like, I'm sitting across from somebody who's making a real effort to understand me so I'm not really concerned about where their knowledge of this comes from, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, this is making me think about my whole identity of what I do and why I do it and why I don't wear a collared shirt and why I wear Vans into work. Because it's just who I am, Yeah. you know? And I, sure. I feel like that helps a lot. Because a lot of the people I work with, it's just like, like they're, they're, they work out in like workout clothes and they dress a certain way and... That's how I always dress. So why would I come in here and try and look like a right. like someone I'm not? Yeah. You know, like sure I have education and I have all these things that I've gone to school for, but that that doesn't necessarily help with like me just connecting with an individual. And that's what it's about, right? Yeah. It's that it's that connective piece yeah. in us being able to say like, listen, it doesn't matter what you're wearing or not wearing. It doesn't matter where your education comes from at this point. Like, I'm not concerned about that. What I can see is that true empathetic therapeutic value to sitting across from somebody who's willing to put their self in my shoes. And when you can gain that understanding and that trust, then the education, the education piece comes in. And now it's like, hey, well, we've got this relationship, right? And this is that piece where it's like, and I'm sure you run into it in the psychology as well, it's kind of like there's a point where you really have to confront somebody's behavior or the way that somebody thinks or what they believe, um, and it that take you have to you have to trust an individual for them to start pressing on your core beliefs or the way that you 
um, think and behave, right? And if you don't trust that person, it, game over. Yeah. You get super defensive. This this is over. What do you know? You put up a wall. I'm done and, with you. And you man. can see that too. Yes. Like sitting on this side, yes. you could you can see when someone puts up a wall or when someone walks in with a yeah. wall. I actually enjoy it a lot more when someone walks in and they they don't want to talk. They don't want to say that they need to work. They don't have any weaknesses. They're just right. like. No, I'm good. I'm like, why are you here? Yeah. You know? What brought you here then? Then why are you here? Well, someone told me to go and do this. Yeah. You know? Well, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? Like, well, obviously someone really cares about you. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, for me. Why would somebody come tell you to come see a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist? Why would would somebody do that? Yeah. Any clue? Yeah. And they're just kind of like, whoa, you know. So it's really fun. It's really fun in this job, and I'm sure you deal with it too, but every single person is so different. Oh, yeah. And if you have the same philosophy on like, this is exactly how I do this, like, there is a right fit. You know, there's totally a right fit. Sometimes it's not a right fit, but I think for the most part, that is the most fun part about my job is that every single person is so different. And every person that comes in, it's like, I have to completely... I don't have like a set thing like I do this, 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 and this with them. It's more of like, okay, what is this person going to relate to and really buy into? So then we can start working on all those other things. Correct. You know, because all those other things are really important. Like I have a standard, and I'm sure you guys have a standard that you follow as well. Yeah. Core values, whatever you want to call it. Um, But it's always like one that I got to throw in there that I'm like, okay, that's going to get them fired up about this. Yeah. This is where the resistance is going to come in, right? Exactly. When I start making my way towards this, and again, that's typically like, you know, and I don't know how much, I mean, I, I imagine on some level it has to play into the psychology as well, because um, really you're looking at human behavior. You're looking at you know, what's in the way of you, you know, transferring over into this and achieving this goal, right? Like what's in the way of that? Well, what, what kind of adverse behaviors or... or things that aren't productive or in the way of that you know and obviously when it comes to what it is that i'm doing like we're looking at you know whether it's untreated mental health or and specifically the use of substances right that are kind of impeding on their ability to obtain this quality of life that they want well with that comes a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and all of those things right so nobody wants to look at that nobody you know they want to minimize they want to justify they want to rationalize all of the things that that have them doing this right all yeah. the reasons why they should and could be doing what they're doing what and i'm kind of chris actually just came back from an off the grid trip and that's what led kind of into this conversation that we're having now you mentioned shame you talked a little bit about shame um over the weekend and I want to understand a little bit more deeply, like your thoughts on shame. Sure. I think when it comes to understanding what shame is and how shame operates, um, we really need to understand, right? So you look at the difference uh, between guilt and shame. And if I ask you, do you you know the difference between guilt and shame? No. And a lot of people don't, right? And so one is very healthy and one Mm -hmm. is very toxic. Right, guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. Guilt says I did something bad. Shame says I am something bad. And when you have a belief that says I am something bad, or the theme that continued to come up um, at Off the Grid was I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. And that is at its core a very shameful way to think, right? Guilt is motivating in the ways of like, hey, I did that and I don't like the way that I feel about the the results of what I did. I wanna change that behavior. Guilt is about the behavior. Shame is about the person. And when you feel I am something wrong, I am something bad, I am not good enough, I am those things, you got to start to really kind of look at the core of that and where it comes from because shame is one of the most corrosive human emotions that we can experience and when you're stuck in that and that is the belief system that you have that's the filter that you run everything through right and so it imagine that this filter is in kind of front the forefront of all of your thoughts that just says i'm something bad right I'm, I'm something wrong. I'm not I'm, good enough. I'm not good enough. 
And so every everything that comes through that filter is then kind of just toxic to the rest of your brain. And you constantly set yourself up to to just perform extremely poorly. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 you can't get out of that because at the core, it doesn't matter if I did this thing right at some point or this thing right. I'm not enough. And and what you see is <clears throat> that's where you get into kind of quantity over quality and those sorts of things where it's like when you're at this shame base and this is really with very high performing people a lot of people that I work with and I'm sure a lot of people that you work with that are very high performing right um, they can go out and achieve a lot of things and you'll see that people have a tendency to go out and achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve and they stand back at this wall and look at all of these achievements and at the end of the day what do they feel still not enough there's not enough yeah. And it's never going to be enough. Why? Because at my core, there's a shame-based thought that says, I am not enough. So therefore, none of these things are going to fulfill. They're not going to fill that hole. And so it's so corrosive. It's really one of the big things that um, that I work with our, our clients on, right, is, is really kind of getting into that shame piece. Because with, you know, and you got to look at it in the ways of, and I'm sure this happens a lot with really high-performing athletes, right? Is that they've achieved all of these things and they're seen by people in a certain light. You imagine the way that firefighters and police officers are seen and then to know that they've had problems or struggles with drug addiction or alcohol or mental health. Like, that. The, same with your athletes, right? Like, they want to hide from that. Right? And you talk about, well, where does shame exist? In the dark. Mm. It's in the dark. The shame exists in the dark. And it's the things that we hide from. And so to think that, hey, I, I've achieved all of these great things, but yet behind closed doors, I'm struggling, man. My mental health is out, out, of, out of order. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop taking too many pain pills. I mean, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I can't tell anybody about any of this right and so that goes into that shame lock and a whole other thing about being a man oh yeah that as well yeah about 100 100 percent. yeah i can't be fallible and it certainly can't be with the with the those sorts of things right like i can't be the person especially when you're looking at firefighters and law enforcement they're like i can't be one of those guys those are people that we take to jail those are guys that we run calls on like i can't be one of those people and so they're you know they're gonna lock that away for as long as they can would you say that it's because naturally we're negative people negativity has a big part in that right and um you know if you do which i'm sure you have because i I know a little bit about how you think but we're wired hardwired for negativity negativity is one of those things that's kept people alive for a long periods of time Right. So we're kind of hardwired for that stuff. And then, yeah, negativity is a huge kind of pusher of all of those things. Um, And then you look at, you know, societal norms and things of that nature and and how they kind of feed into that sort of stuff. So absolutely. Negativity plays a big part in that, you know, and so it's it's very difficult to. So how how would you say if someone's who's listening right now um, and they struggle with shame? Yeah. Like, how would you go about having them deal with that? So there's a lot to be said about um, about how you deal with shame. Very simplistically. Generally. Yeah. Right. The way that, I, that a way that I kind of talk to people about, well, where does shame exist? Well, shame exists in the dark. So if I were to ask you, how do you dissolve and resolve darkness? How would, how would you say that? Yeah, if I asked you, like, Brock, how do you dissolve or resolve darkness? Well, first I would write down whatever that darkness was. Sure. And then I would work on it probably through talk therapy or talking to someone that I yep. trust, maybe yep. before a therapist. Yep. I would tell someone. Yep. Um, and that's what you call, right? So what's the opposite of dark? Light. light. Right? And so that's what we call bringing it to light, right? So shame exists in the dark. We need to bring it to the light. And 100% of what you're talking about, it's like... I start to I start to identify what it is and then I need to identify and because this stuff is so 
we're so vulnerable and so fragile when it comes to these things, right? And think about it. We all have it, right? I'm no, I'm no stranger to shame, right? I have things that I'm ashamed of um, and that I kind of hold close to the vest. And you think about, like, how, how, how do I bring that to the light? If you're telling me bringing that to the light means I got to tell somebody about it, oh, man, right? And so <clears throat> it's important that you really start to identify people who are safe and and people who are deserving of your story. I tell people this all the time. Not everyone is deserving of your story, right? When you start to get into therapy and especially group therapy, um, there comes this very liberating thing about like all of a sudden I'm talking about things that I've never talked about. And you, <clears throat> there was a lot of that obviously at Off The Grid, right? When you start, people start talking about and telling their story and that, and that kind of deal. And then all of a sudden you see that guys just want to start dumping. They just want to start talking about all this stuff. And so I really coach people on, listen, making sure that the people that you are going to share your story with are deserving of your story. Because the last thing you want is to get down into some of this stuff that you're super ashamed of. Someone to just go, whatever. You did what? <laughs> or, or... All of a sudden, you get a phone call or you're in a group of people and someone's like, oh, yeah, I talked to so-and-so and they told me that you... And you're like, what? So, in with interesting enough with really uh, intimate people, sometimes that shame and vulnerability can be used against you. Um, sometimes it's consciously, sometimes it's subconsciously. But I think the first thing in kind of dealing with it, one is understanding what it, what, what am I ashamed of? And that's not a very difficult thing to, like, we know. That's at the forefront, right? Well, how, do, how do I know what I'm ashamed of? It's the stuff you're talking about in your head that you're not talking to anybody else about. It's the stuff that you're doing behind closed doors. It's the stuff you're hiding. It's the stuff you're lying about. That's the stuff that we're, like, really ashamed of. Um, and then it's like, well, who's, who's safe? Like, who's that safe person? I think this is really where... Um, what would you say about, like... So for the off-the-grid, you have 10 guys. You have guys from outside the country. You got guys from all over the country. People that you don't know. What would yeah. you say about that setting? I think it's a good setting. Um, one, because you're really um, <clears throat> offering people an opportunity. There's no, like, you got to talk about this and you got to say that. Like, you're just like, hey, you start where you feel safe in starting. Like, you... You talk about what you want to talk about, right? And so, um, I will. <laughs> I will say, me going first was probably a little unfair because <laughs> um, I'm really used to telling my story. I do do that every single time, though. I yeah. pick. I pick someone that I go. I know. I know that you've been here. I know that you've done this. Because really, what most people and you've experienced this, I know you have. Most people don't know how the hell to tell their story. No. They don't know like what. No. How do I start like right. like right now, like last week, or is this something right. like my develop? Most people don't even think about their development. No, you know, they like don't. what was my family life like when I was a kid? Yeah, you know? and that's what's so beautiful about this is when someone knows how to do this because they, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yes, really, yeah. and it's better for you. Correct. You learn more, you gain more knowledge just from speaking words out of your mouth based off yeah. of memory. But other people can look at that and be like. Okay, I kind of understand this. This is kind of like semi-guidelines. The The only negative side to that that I would say is that someone who goes next, and I say this at the beginning of every single time we, we do these campfire talks, yeah. is I say, do not be the first guy to go up there and be like, right after the gnarly story and be like, yeah. well, my story is not gnarly like yeah. that. Because you know? <laughs> yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad I put you on the spot. Of the For sure. And I think, you know, on some level, I mean, that's... It, that's as a facilitator and somebody who kind of knows who's in the audience, that's a bold move and it's a good move. But I say it's kind of unfair in the ways of like, when you do that with somebody such as myself who's pretty versed in telling their story, and I'm an open book, man. Like I, you know, and I've told you, like I leave out the details and all that stuff because a lot of times they're not important. Um, and two, there's time restraints. I can't go all the way back to, you know, all the stuff that happened. But it really sets a tone of like, you know, that vulnerability piece because I'm raw. I don't I, I don't hold back, man. And I think you saw that, right? And the bigger piece about me being able to share some 
more recent stuff in my life. All that other stuff is really history. I've been sober for 17 years. That's like historic stuff. Like there's none of that's really new. So as far as I'm concerned, right, and this goes back to the shame piece, um, all of that stuff that I talk about now at one point in my life was crippling. It was like, I, you know, I wasn't going to talk about that kind of stuff. I wasn't going to share that stuff with people. And the way that I tell people, you know, when, when shame is healed, if you imagine that you have kind of like a cut on your arm, right? It's a pretty good cut. It's a wound. And I walk up and I'm like, hey, Brock, what's that, that wound? And I push on that. What's going to happen? What are you going to do? Do I have the cut? Yeah, you have the cut on your arm. I I'm walk up, I go, hey, Brock, what's that? And I push defend on Defend myself, hit you, get frustrated. You're probably yeah. going to, yeah, you're probably going to react in a very poor, you're going to slap me and be like, dude, why would you do that? That hurts. That's, 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 that's the shame piece, right? That's the shame that's raw, it's unhealed. When people push on that, right, and people say something about your mom who was super young and really attractive, right, you snap. You, put, you push back on that. When people say, oh, you did those things or those things happened to you and it's not yet healed, like you react very poorly. That's your trauma kind of coming forward. It's a shame. But then you imagine fast forward and you move along and it's like you got this nice scar and I walk up my push. I'm like, hey, Brock, what's that scar? What's this? And I push on it and you look down on it. You laugh. You're like, oh, that? Let me tell you how I got that. You know, and that, that piece, and that's where I kind of say, well, it's almost unfair because that's where I'm at with that story, right? That's a scar. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, let me tell you how I got that scar, you know? But at the same time as a facilitator from one to another, like that's a genius move because it sets a tone. It shows people that, you know, hey, this guy was able to really talk. They don't know that I've told that story a million times. Yeah, every single guy jaw dropped, like, but you, no clue. They're able to see, but I, I feel like I'm really genuine in those moments, and yeah. I'm vulnerable enough. I don't hide my emotions. If tears are coming, although I will say I, I reel them back a little, you know, I don't, I don't let them go completely. It's just kind of my own issue, but I'm not afraid to show some emotion in those sorts of things. Um, and so I think that really kind of set the tone for everybody kind of moving forward, yeah. you know, and so... So guys are able to do that, and it's really healing. But there's also this piece there that you're able to create where through through doing the different things, and I don't know how much you want me to talk about the experience or, or anything, but through doing those different things that you have set up there, right? It's really genius in the ways of like, look, we're going we're gonna to go out and we're going to tromps around and we're going to do some physical stuff and we're going to do some stuff that kind of bonds us together in this way and having fun and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about some real stuff and we're going to answer some questions right and it creates this everybody gets to earn their way into that circle you know what i mean and it's like hey he talked about this and he talked about this and so everyone starts to gain this real trust for one another um and that what that's what makes people worthy of the story and those people are safe and I don't have any doubt that people talk a little bit about what it was that they experienced and that's fine. Um, but I also know they're not doing it in a way of like being judgmental or harsh or mean or making fun of people who shared stuff. I think if they're sharing it with anybody, one, I don't think anybody's sharing in detail like, hey, this guy that was from California who works at this place and lives at this, like, they're not doing that, but they may be like, hey, there was a guy there, man. It was pretty heavy, and I you know, I really connected with him. So I think there's a lot to say about that and being able to help heal shame. I think it was a long way around the question that you asked. but Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> um, I also kind of want to go on a different topic here. I, sure. uh, I really, because you and I know each other outside of, off the grid that was actually one of the reasons why you came correct um what what have you been doing like the past i don't know when did you when did you start like this whole basis on day-to-day performance Mm -hmm. like like your say your physical and your mental like how do you deal with your own mental health and your own physical health and how much do those two play a part in your everyday life sure um 
when did I start the day to day? So interesting. Was it like right when you got sober? You're like, yeah, "Yeah, I know. So it's, it's interesting, right? So one of the things in early sobriety, and I talk a lot about that because it's the foundation that I operate from, but now it's so much more than just the absence of alcohol and drugs, right? Like that's the first step into this recovery process. Um, it's like, how do I stop drinking and doing drugs, right? And so I remember this, there's been a couple pivotal points in my in my journey, but I remember vividly one day, right? I'm in the sober living and there's a bunch of knuckleheads running around, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at the edge of my bunk and I, I could swear my jaw is on the floor, man. I'm just mouth wide open and I'm like, what has, what's my life at, dude? And, and how am I here? And like, how am I going to stop drinking, right? Like, I get it. The hard drugs, okay, right? I get it. Meth is bad. People shouldn't do meth. Like, I understand that. That makes sense logically. But how do I not, like, ever drink a beer again, right? Because you think... <clears throat> You don't want to be that guy who's at a barbecue and just has a beer, right? And um, I want to be able to have, you know, champagne at a wedding if I get married one day. And you just have these really weird thoughts about being completely absent of alcohol in your life. And I remember I'm sitting there and a guy who became a really good friend of mine comes up to me and he goes, Hey, you all right? And I looked at him. I go, I don't think I cannot drink for the rest of my life. And he laughed. He goes, what? I go, I don't, how am I not supposed to drink for the rest of my life? And he kind of looked at me like, you know, like when a kid asks you a question, you're like, ah, oh, kid, you know. And he goes, can you not drink today? And I go, yeah. He goes, just worry about today. Right? And it's just that one day at a time thing. And I know it's cliche and everybody, you know, associates that with AA and all that stuff. <clears throat> That's literally a footprint of my life over the last 17 years, one day at a time. How do you, how do you deal with your mental health? One day at a time. How do you deal with your physical health? One day at a time, right? How do you deal with your relationship? One day at a time. Just, just building that one day, right? There's a guy out there on, on Instagram or whatever, and, and I can't remember his name exactly, but he talks about win the minute, right? And it's like, win the minute, win the hour, win the day, win the month, win the year, right? And it, it makes so much sense when you look, look at it, right? Like foundationally, how do you do this? Today. Why? Because it's all I can really worry about. I can't focus on what happened yesterday. I can learn from yesterday, right? I can, I can take a look at yesterday, you know, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm no, I'm not an active member of AA anymore. I, I, I've gone much of a more of a spiritual um, foundation these days. Church and, and Jesus and the Bible and all that does it does it for me. But I built a foundation in that program. But there's so much in that program, and there's a um, a, a a part in the big book that says we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace before we are halfway through. And that's the foundation of like work, Just neutral, man. working the 12 steps. It's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to worry about the past. I'm not going to trip out on the future, right? I'm going to comprehend the word serenity and I'm going to know peace in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really a lot of what I do. Now there's action steps to that. Well, how do you do that? Do I work out every single day? That's kind of the goal. Do I always achieve that? No. Is my mental health it, it on on point every single day? Am I spiritually fit with God every single day? No, but that's the goal, right? And so it's like taking these small steps every single day and just focusing on the day. How, man, how did you get sober for 17 years? One day at a time, bro. And I'm one bad decision away from a drug or or, or, or drinking, like I could make a bad decision walking out of here. Mm. Now, God willing, I won't. And, and I'm safe to say, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go home and not do that. But the point is like, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I can take a look at a little bit of the history, but what is my mental health like today? What is my physical health like today? What is my emotional health like today? Right? And are there things that I can do day to day like 
the cold plunges and the working out and the reading my Bible and the talking with people are those things that I can do to solidify having a better day? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And not even, I mean, what you just mentioned, a lot of people who feel empty or all like feel dark, like they're in a dark place. Um, just doing those things that you have said, like there's a lot of chemical reactions that are going on inside of your brain. 100%. A lot of hormonal things going on inside of your brain that you yeah. don't really recognize. But those are the supplements. Those are the those are the drugs that we should be taking. Correct. Every single day. Yeah. You know, like working out and doing yep. an ice bath. Like if you just yep. started off every single day just by working out and doing yeah. an ice bath, like all of the, the mental health stuff yeah. won't necessarily be as bad as it was yesterday. Correct. And then you add journaling to that. You add reading yes. the Bible to that. You add spirituality, whatever yeah. it is. You add all of those things to that. And then you have this thing at the end of every single day. And you look back on your day and you're like, well, look at all the things that I just did. Yep. You know, and you talk about shame. Yeah. Like, am I enough? Like, you, you don't look back at a workout and you go, God, I, I hate that I just did that. Yeah. You look back at a workout and you may go, well, that was really hard. Yeah. But typically things that are hard yeah feel really good yeah you know and when you do an ice bath that's the perfect it's the perfect example of that Huge. like it's you do not like nobody likes cold water sucks i mean there's i don't even the Iceman hoff guy like yeah he, he probably eventually at some point was just like you know what like cold water like i i don't understand how he's guy. too deep into it at this point right? yeah like he, it's not like he can be the guy that's like hey you know what I think I'm pretty much done with that cold water stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, he's, he's Ice done. Man, his name is the Ice yeah. Man. Um, but kind of going like that, that whole perspective of winning the day, you know, yeah. win each day. At the end of each day is yeah. a W. Like, it's not necessarily that you have to win every single day, it's that you have to try to win, you know? Yeah. And if you're working out and if you're journaling and if you are ice bathing you're doing something spiritual yeah i i think that you can't look back at your day and be like that was just a waste yeah it's it certainly makes it more difficult and i can tell you like the transition from like um and a big issue that we have in society but a transition from like drugs and alcohol right that those things that you just mentioned will get you they'll get you all the same things that drugs and alcohol will Mm. but what's the difference Drugs and alcohol do it now. Yeah. Instant gratification. I take that pill, I know what's going to happen. Why don't you talk a bit about cocaine and what ice baths do? <laughs> right? You know? it, 100%, right? Like you can look at the difference in. So when it comes to ice, ice baths, right? The cold plunge, which I've been doing for a while. Yeah, you get some of that instantaneous stuff, which is, it helps. One of the bigger pieces in being able to recover from these sorts of things is being able to delay instant gratification. Right, being able to say, "Listen, I'm going to put in the long work for the long goal. I'm not going to sacrifice the immediate, right, for the short term. In other words, I'm not going to take this or eat this because I'm going to feel good now. I'm going to delay that so that I can build up this resiliency and get to a much more balanced place in my life. the The, the great thing about cold plunges is it gives you that instant, right? You it instantly sucks." It instantly hurts. It instantly says, get out of this. And I mean now. And when you can sit your body down and just say, I'm in charge, right? And you're on the, because one of the things I tell myself, right? This is not a negotiation. This is not a negotiation. There's zero wiggle room in my mind for a negotiation. My mind is really good at being able to rationalize, justify, and negotiate its way out of some, some stuff really quickly. And so the minute that I start something I know is going to be hard, and you and I talked a little bit about this, I go through the checklist, right? When it comes to a cold plunge, my feet are going to hurt, my hands are going to hurt, it's going to be cold, my skin's going to tingle, my, my, I'm, I'm going to want to get out, like, check, 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 yeah. Breathing's going to be hard. Breathing's going to be super hard, right? Yeah. Check off all the boxes. Okay, that's to be expected. Is anything unexpected outside of those things going to happen? The only one thing that happens to me is the negotiation. And there can be no negotiation. So let's get in there. Let's grind it out. And let's get it done. And you and I have talked a lot about this too in the ways of like, you're not a timer guy, right? And I get it. I go back and forth. I go like, okay, I'm going to do a timer. Or I'm at least going to have a timer running. Um, 
and you're one of those guys that's like, no, build the wall, jump over each wall, right? Tolerate it, then sit yourself still, which I get, I get the aspect of both. Um, and I can say that, you know, setting a timer sometimes is very helpful for me because. Well, I always set a timer. I just don't yeah, follow it. You don't follow it, right? Yeah. But sometimes for me, it's like, that's the negotiation. Like, because it'll become so strong, it's like, okay, listen, dude, you can do this for three minutes, all right? Sit down, suck it up for three minutes. We can grind this out for three minutes. So, but yeah, not negotiating. Um, but back to the instant gratification piece, right? Like, there is so much. Sometimes I think it's just the sheer relief of getting out of the cold water that's just like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm no longer in that pool of suck, yeah. right? Like, that just. This just is brutal. And now I'm out and it's like that instant relief, you know, and then, um, you know, what's interesting too, is like when you, I'm, I'm thinking of this from the lens of like, when you have something that throughout your day that is really bad, something that did not go according to plan and you were in it and whether you were thriving or absolutely sucking, you know, um, you don't get that feeling like you're talking about. No. You don't just go, oh, I'm, it's done. You know, like I'm done with my terrible work day. Right. That carries on into your family life afterwards, your spouse or your children or pretty much anyone who's around your roommate. Like, yeah. I, I really like all the different thoughts that come from doing something so small in the morning like that, yeah. five minutes in the morning it takes. Yeah. Um, and then you learn how to deal with like, okay, that was crap. And then all of a sudden... I'm out of it and I'm good now, you know, yeah. like trying to, and, and mentally like you come up with all these different, I don't, I don't know if it's like neural connections, but it's like the rest of your day, when you go through crap, you're like, okay, that's the end of that. Yeah. You know, now I need to go and focus on this. Like I'm going to go through crap and yeah. I'm going to go through crap every single day. Correct. You know, um, some days you don't, but I think there's just so much, it's, it's such a simple, dumb thing, but it's like, yeah. It is. It has become a staple of my life. You know? Yeah, and it. It's. I. You know. I mean. It does so much in terms of adversity and all of these things. You know. I. <clears throat> I practice jujitsu, and it does the same thing as kind of the ice bath in the ways of like I tell people a lot of times like, it gives me it gives me the ability to respond to things versus react to things. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Ice bath is the same way. Like I have this re- instant reaction, and that that reaction is get out. And the response is no, breathe, sit still, sit down. Yes, I understand that this is uncomfortable, but we're gonna be okay. We can get through this, focus on breath, right? Because the reaction is get out and get out now. And so that carries over and and, and, and jujitsu is the same way. It's like when you're in a position and somebody's trying to enforce their will on you, it's like I can react really poorly and get myself hurt or I can slow down, I can breathe, I can look at the next move, and it gives me a, an opportunity to respond versus react. When I do a cold plunge early in the morning um, before work, and then I get, you know, kind of get my day started and all that, I feel like that carries over, right? Because that same thing is filtered through when somebody comes up and there's a crisis and somebody's not acting right and somebody's upset, right? Which I'm sure you deal with a lot, right? The same. And it's like, my instant reaction inside is that yeah, I just kind of jumped like, but that's the the react like oh you want to just like get away and 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 react poorly and it's like hold on slow down recognize your emotion I'm uncomfortable I'm I'm kind of buying into their anger so I can be angry and anxious too hold on breathe through this and now let's us let's respond appropriately if that makes sense no absolutely. Um, okay, I got a session in 10 minutes. Is yeah. there is there anything that you kind of want to add to this? Maybe speak into someone who's listening. Um, For sure. You can um, just add your own little piece to the end of this. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if we go off of, you know, my life's experiences, obviously, which is, you know, the, the addiction battles and, and, and some of the shame around that. I think understanding that there is a way to get out of it. There is a way to get well. Um, I've never met anybody that says, you know, the worst thing I ever did was stop drinking and using drugs. 
it completely ruined my life. You know, I've only heard the exact opposite. You know, and no matter how far down the scale you've gone in this whole thing, like there's a way out. You know, I was a guy who lost everything. Um, and so if you're that, that guy or that girl and you're wondering, is there a way out? I mean, there's a way out. There's people out here that want to help, um, whether it be your local church, whether it be your local treatment center whether you reach out to, to uh, off the grid and, and get connected with myself or somebody else, there's resources, there's hope, and there's help. Um, but it, it starts with you. You gotta, you gotta reach out, you know? Closed mouths don't get fed, right? That whole kind of thing. It's like, you gotta speak up and, and yeah, there's some things that are, are, that you might not like about the situation that you're in, but getting help is only going to make things better, you know, and there is a quality of life that's well beyond what it is that you might be dealing with now. And the other thing is to understand that those around you, although they may be a little disappointed in some things, at the end of the day, they do want what's best for you. So being able to reach out and let them know that you're having a hard time, that you're struggling with it, and that you need help, um, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. You can't keep going away. You're going for sure. Yeah, I love it, Chris. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. No, it was uh, it was a good time. Yeah, you hear the music? I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like hey, getting after it. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, we uh, we record these at my office. In my office, we are right. I mean, our our entire place here. It's like a freaking yeah. workout center. So yeah. we got the speaker bumping. Yeah. Um, but sign yeah. up for off the grid. You won't be you won't be uh, disappointed for sure. Off the grid. Get out there and get it done. Thank you for the off the grid plug. Hundred percent. Um, I feel like we still have some more stuff to talk about. So I would not doubt it if you come on here again. Let me know, dude. In like 10 episodes from now or yeah. something. <laughs> sure. Whatever. All right, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a great day. Off.